from McMinnville, Oregon. This is Crisscrossing Science, the podcast that knows why chickens are funny. I'm Michael Crosser. Of course, you know Chad Tilburg. And today's title is Sex Determination. Hey, Chad, why are chickens so funny? Because. <laughs> that was worth it. Yeah. Was it? Okay. Totally good. worth it. So well, I think today we're we are looking for girls who are boys, who like girls, who like boys, or something like that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Well, I think you planted this seed, so to speak, a while back when you asked me a question about sex determination and what's up with the XXXY situation and how that all gets sorted out. And so it, it's been on my mind as a thing that would be fun to talk about for a while. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I was reminded of how interesting and different birds are from the mammal situation. And Mm. so we'll get into other ways that uh, chickens are funny with regards to some of their sex determining mechanisms. All right. So, but we're not talking about ants today. So, (laughs) yeah, in fact, I do think I want to limit the conversation to vertebrates. So just animals like us that have backbones because there are even beyond the vertebrates when you start getting into other animal groups there are even other kinds of mechanisms that are in play and so to do the entire animal kingdom and sex determination justice would be a very long conversation mm. so we'll we'll just kind of cut it off to the kinds of animals that most people think about anyway which are the vertebrates right okay so just the vertebrates okay yeah so we can break down what we mean by sex into a couple of different categories those being primary sex characteristics and secondary sex characteristics. And so when a biologist is talking about sex, these are the kinds of things that they're thinking about. And primary sex characteristics refer to the kinds of gonads that a particular individual has, whether the undifferentiated gonad in the developing embryo is directed to become a testes and that is an individual that we would call a male, or that undifferentiated gonad is directed to develop into ovaries, and that kind of individual we would call a female. So what are gonads then? The sex organs that produce the gametes, the gametes being the egg or the sperm. And so these are the organs of reproduction where egg and sperm come from. Okay. And so those are what we mean So the family jewels, that's primary. (laughs) I had a thought today that I would just look up every possible slang (laughs) for male organs and female organs and things and just rattle them off. Yeah, that would also be a long conversation probably. (laughs) And so, and then associated with the gonads are the sex organs. And so if we're talking again about a developing embryo, there is a region of undifferentiated genital tissue that's kind of like the precursor, just there developing, waiting for a set of instructions for that same basic undifferentiated tissue to then develop into the external genitalia of a male or the external and internal genitalia of a female. And so again, what I'm talking about today is about vertebrates generally, and we'll talk about mammals specifically here in a little bit, and humans being mammals would kind of fall under this broad category of these kinds of embryological developmental 
processes as well. All right. And then what goes along with that then are a host of secondary sex characteristics. And these are features of a body that are not directly related to the organs of reproduction, but often differ morphologically between the male and female sex in a particular species. Often they don't develop until perhaps a little bit later as the individual reaches adulthood. Okay. And so in mammals, these might be things like differences in body size, differences in amount of hair. So if you think about it like a lion's mane, for example, mm. that's a, a male typical characteristic in lions. Uh, differences in breast tissue, maturation of mammary glands mm -hmm. would be another secondary sex characteristic. In birds, some of these characteristics might be differences in feather color and size and arrangement. So in many bird species, the females often tend to be fairly drab and brown, and the males often are brightly colored, might have ridiculously ornate kinds of plumage. Mm -hmm. Like a peacock versus a peahen. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example, right? The male, the called the peacock, has huge tail, the brightly colored bluish, right. greenish mm -hmm. uh, feathers and so forth. And the peahen is basically just a brown. Yeah, brown, she looks sort of like um, if you were to take a peacock and remove the long train and then make it sepia tone. That's kind of what a peahen looks like. Yeah. And then what goes along with a lot of these morphological differences is often differences in behavior in terms of things like courtship behaviors, territoriality, different roles in parental care, and so on. All right. And so when a biologist is talking about the sex of an animal that it is under investigation, those are the kinds of either primary organs of reproduction directly related or secondary sexual characteristics as kind of what they're talking about. So for mammals, most people are familiar with the concept of these two chromosomes. So like what, even though you're a mere physicist, I, I true, you're the one who asked the question. So what, what is it chromosomally that makes a male versus a female mammal? Well, so we have something on the order of 23 chromosomes from our mother and 23 from our dad. For a total mm -hmm. of 46. Right. But of those, it's only one of those chromosomes that one from each that actually matters. And and so like a female, we have these X and these Y chromosomes. And they're called that for no particular reason. I think you've told me that before. That they don't look like an X and they don't look like a Y. But one is really long and one's kind of short. The Y is very short and the X is very long. Mm -hmm. So our mother has two X's mm -hmm. and our father has an X and a Y. And so mm -hmm. if we happen to get the X from the father and an X from the mother, we would be a female. And if we got the Y from the father and the X from the mother, we would be a male. Right. And so the X chromosome, the sex chromosomes, we should just call them, the sex chromosomes are one of the 23 total chromosomes that you inherit from each parent. That's absolutely correct. And what is unique about those particular sex chromosomes is, as you identified, they are different from each other. They're different in size. Mm -hmm. Chromosomes 1 through 22 that you get from mom are going to be the same size as chromosomes 1 through 22 that you get from dad, right? Oh, interesting. So, they, so this is the only set of chromosomes that are weird, that every other that one, they're the same length, they look the same. They Yes. Yeah, so you inherit one copy of each chromosome one through 22 from 
mom and one copy from dad. And then when sperm meets egg and fertilization happens, that restores the what's called the diploid status in the zygote. And so there's now two copies of all of them. And then which of the two chromosomes, maybe I should back up here for a second and talk about what exactly a chromosome is. So a chromosome is a combination of DNA wound around a whole bunch of sort of like protein scaffolding that helps package it down really small and compact. Okay. Okay? And when they're getting moved around and thing at times, like in replication, they get packaged up so that they're really tight and they can be moved around. When they're actually, when the genes in the DNA is being transcribed, then it loosens up a little bit. And so a region of the chromosome kind of relaxes and all the biochemistry can then access the DNA and start making transcripts so that the genes get expressed. But basically a chromosome is a really, really efficient way of packaging up all of the DNA sequences of which comprise the genes that instruct our body to do all the things that it does. And I vaguely remember that if we don't have two copies of each chromosome with only like two exceptions, we cannot survive at all. Yeah, that's right. There are situations where, say, in the gonad of either the male or the female parent, if there is a problem with the production of a given gamete, maybe it has chromosomes 1 through 10, but for some reason 11 didn't make its way into the gamete, and right. then it has 12 through 23, if that particular, say, egg were to be fertilized by a sperm with the full complement of all of the chromosomes, that would be a zygote that probably would have a hard time developing because it would have a hard time going through cell replication and it probably would not survive. Hmm. There are some situations where you can have an extra chromosome. And so that's called a trisomy. Like for example, chromosome number 21 is a relatively small chromosome. They're ordered from one through 22 in size, right? Hmm. And so chromosome 21 is a relatively small chromosome. But imagine if a a small error in the production of gametes occurred, but instead of a copy of chromosome 21 missing in a sperm or an egg that's being produced, two copies of chromosome 21 got into a sperm or an egg. So right? we're talking about eggs, then like one egg maybe is missing that one, and then the other egg has two of them. Exactly. So yeah. like that could exactly. be the mistake that, okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then so if say a sperm carrying two copies of chromosome 21 fertilizes an egg, with one copy of chromosome number 21, mm -hmm. then that zygote has two copies of all of the chromosomes, except for chromosome 21, where it has three. All right. And individuals with that kind of genotype actually can develop, and this is a condition that people commonly know as Down syndrome. Mm. So generally speaking, you need exactly two copies of each of the 23 chromosomes. Yes. If you have only one, it would not survive. If it has three of them, usually it's not going to survive. The Down syndrome is an exception where it can actually survive. Yeah. Okay. And there are a few other, there are a few other cases where you can have trisomies and the infant survives, but often it comes along with some developmental difficulties. Mm. But what makes the sex chromosomes interesting and distinct, at least one thing that makes the sex chromosomes distinct from all the rest, is that there are two different versions of them. And you alluded to this earlier when you mentioned that the X chromosome is bigger and the Y chromosome is smaller. And, and that's exactly right. The Y chromosome actually has a very small number of genes. Huh. And the X chromosome is a relatively biggish 
relative to the the Y chromosome. Mm -hmm. And so if sperm and egg both have X chromosomes in them, then that zygote develops into female. If egg has an X chromosome and sperm has a Y chromosome, then that zygote will develop into a male. But saying that sex is chromosomally determined doesn't really explain the why of it, right? It's like, well, what is it about XX versus XY that would result in these two very distinct morphologies? Mm -hmm. And it turns out that located on the Y chromosome, one of the few genes that's actually on the Y chromosome is a gene called SRY. Sorry. SRY stands for sex determining region Y protein. So S for sex determining, R for region, Y for Y protein. And if you remember what genes do, right, they get transcribed mm -hmm. into RNA, and then that RNA gets translated into a protein. That's transcription and translation. And then the protein goes off and does something. Maybe it's a structural protein and it helps build the body. Maybe it's an enzyme that helps some sort of biochemical reaction happen. Maybe it does something else. Right. So the information, sort of the, the blueprints are in the DNA, mm -hmm. and they're usually tucked away in the nucleus. Mm -hmm. And then you transcribe that mm -hmm. to RNA. And so this is just a small sort of a, a subsection of a little bit of the DNA that is needed at that moment for that particular cell. Yeah, it's kind of like taking a book out of a huge library and photocopying a few pages. Okay. And then that can go out outside of the nucleus, and then that piece can then be translated into exactly know, the machine the protein that you actually need at that moment and so okay. yeah it turns out that some genes the gene product that gets translated is what's called a transcription factor okay mm -hmm. and so this molecule goes and identifies other locations on the chromosome or other chromosomes perhaps multiple other chromosomes or perhaps multiple places on other chromosomes and it binds to the chromosome at the appropriate location that it affects the transcription of the gene in that area of the chromosome. So that's what a transcription factor does, is it basically turns on and off other genes. Okay, so, so each of these chromosomes have a whole bunch of genes on them. Thousands. Thousands and thousands of genes and basically varying from like, okay, well, this cell, I want you to turn into an eyeball. Sure. And this other one is over in your liver. So it should look different. It should be very different. All that information mm -hmm. is still in your DNA. Exactly. And so depending on where you are, then you can kind of pull out certain things. Exactly. And you're saying that one of these proteins is only found on the Y chromosome. That's right. SRY gene that produces the transcription factor that turns on the genes that cause the undifferentiated gonad to mature into testes. Okay. And so if you imagine it's sort of like a massive like control panel or something, right? And it goes on and it, it toggles on all the switches that then engage the program for differentiating this undifferentiated gonad tissue into a testis. Okay. That's how to think about what the SR1 gene is doing. In the absence of the SR1 gene, then... All the, the switches are flipped the other way. The switches are flipped the other direction. Okay. And so then the feminizing genes get activated. And so that undifferentiated gonad tissue then develops into an ovary. Hmm. At what stage does that actually matter? Very, very early. Okay. Quite early on in development. There have been a few interesting anomalies in the sex of individuals based on their chromosomes. And so for example, 
if an individual has a sex chromosome composition of X blank. So that would be a situation where they got, say, an X chromosome from mom, and there was an error in the production of the sperm in dad, so that the sperm that happened to fertilize this egg was lacking any sex chromosome whatsoever. Ah, okay. So what would that individual develop into, do you suppose? Well, there's no Y, so it would just be a, a female, I would think. It would develop into a female, right? Because there's no SRY gene there. And then similar to the situation that we described for how Down syndrome might occur, the same kind of thing might happen for the sex chromosomes as well, so that you could end up with a zygote that has XXX. And, and so that individual would obviously be a female, right? Because mm -hmm. there's no Y chromosome there. Similarly, you might have an individual with the genotype of XXY. Mm -hmm. What would that one be? I assume male. Yeah, because those Y chromosomes, regardless of how many X chromosomes there are, if there's a Y chromosome that has that SRY gene, then it's going to give the instructions to make a male. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Because we've had a discussion about what genes mean, like like with eye color, of mm -hmm. how like, you know, if you don't have the gene that says, make this pigment to make your eyes brown, mm. then the default is if you don't have the pigment, you have beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> uh-huh. And so... Because we had this conversation and I was like, oh, well, that's totally not how I used to think about how all this works, right? I remember in high school doing these square things. Punnett squares? Uh -huh. Punnett squares. And where you'd say like, okay, well, this is dominant and this is mm -hmm. recessive. And so the dominant just beats down the, the other traits <laughs> and makes this happen, right? Mm -hmm. So just like with the eyes, if I don't have the thing that says make the pigment, mm -hmm. then my eyes are by default lacking because I just don't have instructions for making it. If I'm missing it entirely, then I have blue eyes. Mm -hmm. And so that would be the same thing with this Y chromosome, that if you don't have the Y at all, then you just don't have these instructions to flip all the switches. And so right. sort of by default, we're all female. Well, yes, you're correct in that in the absence of the SRY gene, the gonad develops into an ovary. That's absolutely okay. true. But there are still feminizing genes that get turned on. Mm. It's a little more complicated than the eye situation in that there are still feminizing genes that do get turned on okay. and okay. provide a set of instructions. It, it, so it's not, if we think of the starting point as like a lump of undifferentiated clay, it, it doesn't stay just undifferentiated clay in the absence of the SRY. If SRY is there, then the clay gets formed into this one thing. If the SRY is not there, then another set of instructions holds sway and it gets molded into something else. Okay. Yeah. And so then from there, fairly early on in mammalian development, the gonads and parts of the brain communicate with each other in this developing embryo, and they are sending signals back and forth and telling each other to produce hormones that then circulate into the rest of the body. And at appropriate locations, cells are sensitive to those hormones. And if they get that hormonal signal, that prompts those cells to develop in a certain way. For example, if the gonads have differentiated into ovaries, they might be sending out a stronger estrogen kind of signal. And then that would cause other tissues in the developing female body to mature in a way that would not happen if those gonads had developed into testes. Okay. And those testes would be sending out hormones that we call androgens, like more testosterone, for example, right? And so I guess the point is, and why I'm belaboring this a little bit is because we're going to see that it's different in birds in a very interesting way. Basically, 
once the gonads get differentiated, they then kind of take over and tell the rest of the body mostly how to develop. Okay. Even though all of those cells, like say in developing breast tissue or something like that, those cells have XX or XY, depending on whether we're male or or Mm -hmm. female here. And so, I mean, one model is that it could be that the cells have the XX chromosomes. And so it's that that tells them locally how they should be developing. Mm -hmm. But that's not actually how it works. It's because the genes are getting turned on and off because of the signals from the gonads. Okay. That kind of encapsulates then the mammal story. Mm-hmm. And what I think would be interesting to do would be to talk a little bit about the reptile story, specifically about birds, and kind of contrast it with the mammals because there's some interesting differences here. All right. So in birds and many other reptiles, it's actually the... So males are... ZZ. For some reason, the sex chromosomes in reptiles got called Z and W. And so males or is are it Z? Z? Sure. Males are <laughs> males are ZZ. Okay. Okay. And females are ZW. Okay. I mean, I, I feel like it was a Canadian who who came up with this. I, I don't know why. I just sure. I have that sense. Well, yeah, I think they were at the end of the alphabet and X and Y were taken. And so they just sort of went in either direction <laughs> of X and Y. Right. And so it's completely the opposite to the mammal case. Right. So in mammals, the individual that has two copies of the same thing develops into a female Mm -hmm. and the individual that has one copy of one, one copy of the other becomes the male. It's the opposite here. And so they had to use different letters because would it be true in all mammals? You've got XX and XY is the same language you would say? All is an awfully big word. Let's just say it's Thank true you. in all mammals that I am aware of. Okay. And so then uh, because this is backwards, a backwards mechanism from mammals and things, then they're like, all right, we'll use different letters. Yeah. And so we'll pick two other letters from the alphabet. Yep. So and which one they, has the sorry gene? Yeah. Well, great question. It turns out that nobody does. The SRY gene is not present in the reptiles. Instead, what is present is called DMRT1. DMRT1. And so this, I know, DMRT1. 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 So this stands for double sex and MAB3 related transcription factor. I was going to guess that. Yeah. I know. I know. You're so close. But yeah, so we'll, we'll just call it DMRT1. And it turns out that similar to SRY and any other gene, it gets transcribed and then translated and it produces a protein that goes and serves as a transcription factor in other on other chromosomes. So mm-hmm. it's similar in that way. But DMRT1 gene product operates in a dose-sensitive manner. Basically, what that means is that if there's a lot of it being produced, then the undifferentiated gonad develops into a testes. And if there's a small amount of it being produced, then the undifferentiated gonad develops into an ovary. Okay, And so that kind of starts to make sense why it would be the case then that if you've got two copies of DMRT1, your ZZ in your genotype, then you've got two copies of it cranking out a larger dosage of this DMRT1 gene product. Oh, okay. And that turns on the build testes program. Mm -hmm. But if you only have one copy, you have a lower dosage of the DMRT1 gene product. Mm -hmm. 
and that turns on the build an ovary okay. program. These researchers were using chickens as a model system. They're easy animal to work with, and they are kind of a model organism for a lot of developmental Tasty. research. Yeah, right. And then you can eat them at the, when the experiment's over. Nice. No, that's not true. Uh, and so what they used is this gene editing technique. And so what they did is they created a non-functional DMRT1 gene on one of the two Z chromosomes okay. in a chromosomally male chick embryo, right? So this chick embryo has the genotype ZZ. Mm -hmm. And if we did nothing to it, it would develop testes and it would develop into a male bird. But they made one of those DMRT1 genes non-functional. Mm -hmm. What sort of dosage does it sound like that developing embryo is going to do. It should, make, it should make it ovaries, right? And that's exactly what happened. So we've got this chromosomally male embryo that is producing an ovary. And not just an ovary, but like all of the little follicles are starting to develop. I mean, it's a, it's a functioning ovary, right? It's going to start okay. making eggs. So then what really caught my attention about this, based on what we talked about a little bit ago about what controls the production of secondary sexual characteristics in mammals... If we were to allow this embryo to go ahead and develop into an adult bird and it's producing an ovary, mm -hmm. what's going to happen to that embryo? Is it going to develop male or female secondary sex characteristics? So in this case, yeah, it should be a female then because it has ovaries. Yeah. So exactly. That's if the... So it should have not a whole lot of comb on the head. Yeah. It should uh -huh. have a small comb and it, it should go bark, 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 rather than... Bark, doo, doo, doo. Right. Yeah, it shouldn't have like spurs on its legs or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And so if birds developed by the same model that mammals do, then that's exactly what you would expect. But actually what happened is this embryo with ovaries, but a male genotype developed a male adult body. It had a, a big, oh. handsome male comb. Yep. It had nice spurs on the legs like males do, big male body. And yet its gonads were ovaries. So when bark, bark, bark a doodle do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> no, no, actually, I actually I think it just went cock a doodle do. It, it was okay. it was it was a full-fledged male. And so what what that tells you is something really interesting about what controls the development of secondary sexual characteristics in birds and lots of reptiles. In contrast to the mammal situation, where once the gonad tissue is differentiated into ovaries versus testes, mm -hmm. they start producing the hormones that then run the show in the rest of the body. Right. Not so in birds. The undifferentiated gonad receives a signal from DMRT1 to differentiate into either an ovary or a testy, depending on how much DMRT1 gene product is there. Right. But then everywhere else in the rest of the body is not paying attention to what the ovary or testes is doing. Instead, they're paying attention to what chromosomes they have. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned the nice handsome comb on this, on the head of this thing, right? So as it was developing, all those little skin cells on the top of the head would have been ZZ, so male in their genetic composition. Mm -hmm. And that turned on the make male secondary sex features. So it's a very different way of developing those secondary sex characteristics, completely different from the mammals. Interesting. So DMRT1 is a gene that is also in mammals, 
by the way, and it is involved in the development of secondary sexual characteristics in mammals as well. But in mammals, it's found on chromosome number nine, which means that both males and females have two copies of DMRT1. And so whether or not DMRT1 gets initiated or not depends on SRY being present to turn it on or turn it off. Oh, okay. So so even humans need the DMRT1 mm-hmm. to turn things on and, and do all the stuff. Mm-hmm. But the mechanism to turn it on is the SRY that we have. Exactly. In our cells. Okay. Yeah, exactly. All right. So I, I've been mentioning here birds and many reptiles. You might be wondering, okay, if you're saying many reptiles, there must be something else going on with at least some reptiles. Mm-hmm. That happens to be the case. And, and I don't know if you're aware or not, but some reptiles such as alligators, crocodiles, and some turtles, they actually regulate the sex of the embryo based on Mm. the incubation temperature of the egg. And so there's a temperature range that results in the embryo developing into a male, and there's another temperature range that results in the egg developing into a female. Mm. Alligators and some of these turtles have actually completely lost different versions of the sex chromosomes. So they they don't even have uh, a Z versus W kind of thing. They're all, Hmm. I I suppose they would, we would just assign them all ZZ. And so it's pretty wild to think of sex being environmentally determined in that way. Well, that's really interesting. I learned some stuff. Yeah. I'm not sorry about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, Chad. Sure thing. This episode was recorded on the beautiful campus of Linfield University. Rodi Ortega wrote our theme music. If you like this episode or others like it, you should subscribe to the podcast. That way you'll download the latest episode as soon as it becomes available. While there, leave a comment and a rating, and that'll help other people find our podcast. If you have ideas for future episodes, or if you have inquiries that you would like us to inquire about, email us at crisscrossingside@gmail.com. All one word, all lowercase. Or hit us up on Facebook. Until next time, thanks for listening. 